As a preacher trying to tap into the life of young people, what do you find is the specific challenge for you in communicating to that space in their lives? I think the challenge for me is just being authentic. They know that your experiences and their experiences are not the same. And when we sort of try to make our experiences relatable to their experiences, it can often come off as gimmicky or trite because I existed in college prior to Instagram or Twitter. And that even though your experience was different from their experience, that doesn't mean that you don't have something to offer them. Welcome to Preach, a podcast from America Media on the art of Catholic preaching. I'm your host, Ricardo De Silva, a Jesuit priest from South Africa, associate editor at America Media in New York, and associate pastor at the Church of St. Francis Xavier. In each episode, we take you into the minds and hearts of some of the finest preachers in the Catholic Church. We listen to their homilies, learn what makes them great, and draw inspiration to keep preaching the good news. This week on Preach, we are joined by Brian Cheng, a Holy Cross priest and currently the rector of the Basilica of the Sacred Heart on the campus of the University of Notre Dame. A native of Flushing, New York, Brian is a lifelong fan of the New York Mets. As such, he says, he is well acquainted with the Spirit's fruits of patience and longanimity. Brian, welcome to Preach. Thanks so much, Ricardo, for having me here. It's a pleasure to be with you all. It's really wonderful to have you. The readings you are preaching on are taken from the 19th Sunday in Ordinary Time, Year A, and they are from the first book of Kings, Paul's letter to the Romans, and the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus invites Peter to walk on the water in the middle of a storm. Which of these readings are you focusing most of your attention on in this homily? So, the first reading stands out to me, and I'll talk about why in the homily itself, and then there's a very natural connection to the Gospels. So I think the first reading from Kings and the Gospel are the source of focus today. So the Gospel deals with Peter walking on water. What would you say is a quick summary of the first book of Kings? In the first book of Kings, Elijah has just slain the prophets of Baal and fled into the mountains, and he's waiting to hear from the Lord again. And famously, the Lord doesn't speak to him in these grandiose moments, but in what the current translation describes as the tiny whispering sound. And older translations would say the still small voice of the Lord. And that is a phrase that's been very common in kind of the life of the faith and the life of the church for many, many years. Mm. Tell me, who's the congregation that you have in mind as you're thinking about this homily? Sure. The congregation I have in mind is the congregation I preach to most regularly, which is the congregation present at the Basilica of the Sacred Heart on any given Sunday. In the pews, we have a lot of students who are pretty well formed theologically, who've all taken a few theology classes here. We have faculty members, theologians, but also community members, but all generally affiliated with the university. So their level of familiarity with the stuff of faith and language of faith is pretty high. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, our Mass is broadcast nationally each Sunday, and so the audience kind of beyond the room is a little bit more broad, maybe not as well developed in terms of their catechetical experience or intellectual formation. And so there's this funny line to try to kind of make it be able to speak to both sets of folks at the same time. Well, 
These are some of my favorite readings. I look forward to hearing what you have to say about them in your homily. We will now hear Brian Ching's homily for the 19th Sunday in Ordinary Time, Year A, especially recorded for Preach. I had the blessing of being director of our college seminary program for six years, which meant that I was in charge of helping college-aged men discern and prepare for life as a possible Holy Cross religious and priest. It was really a fun task, and one in which our first reading from the Book of Kings today was used a lot. It's, in fact, used so much that many of our Holy Cross religious have chose that first reading for a reading in their own first vows or final vows masses. It's a reading that we speak about and refer to all the time. And the reason why is that it really is one of the best examples in all of Scripture of helping us think about how the Lord is making His voice and His presence known to us in our world. The truth of the matter is, I think all of us, all of us fall into this trap of expecting God to work for us in our own ways, that we want to see God in the grandiose and kind of intense actions of our life. And we place these expectations upon God of how he is should act or is supposed to act in our life, that God, if you hear me, you'll make this happen. This person will be cured. This event will be prevented. This desire of mine will come to fruition. And when those things don't happen, it's easy for us to think that God is perhaps not hearing us, not listening to us, or just frankly wants nothing to do with us. And the reading from the book of Kings this morning reminds us that God speaks to us in ways much broader than we expect. That the life of faith really does require on us, for us, of us, an attentiveness to God's presence. Certainly here in the sacraments, in the scriptures, but also in those more subtle ways. To think about how we see the Lord in a good conversation with a friend, in the beauty of creation, when we're out for a walk and see a beautiful sunset, to think about how the Lord might be speaking to us in those chance encounters in the supermarket or on the street, or where the Lord might be present to us in our own studies, our own life of faith, our own recreational life. And these are really important because when we place our expectations on how God should act and is supposed to act in our world, we become real myopic in the life of faith, right? We force God to work on our terms. We force God to work the way that we expect him to work and we want him to work. But one of the primary truths of faith is that God is much bigger than we are. He's much bigger than our expectations. He's much bigger than our limitations. He's much bigger than the way we think the world ought to work. And so humility calls us as Christians, friends, to be attentive to how the Lord is speaking to us in the ways that are perhaps unexpected, that aren't as grand, that aren't as grandiose. 
to not see God only in the moments of earthquake and fire, but to really listen for that small whispering sound, or as a previous translation calls it, the still small voice of God. Because these two have the power to convey God's presence. Now, the trick is they're also really easily overlooked. It's easy for us to become so wrapped up in our own lives, our own drama, our own worries and cares and concerns that we miss how God might be speaking to us in those still small ways. When we're so consumed by what we need to do and what we need to get done and how busy we are and what tests we need to study for, what paper we need to write, when all of those things occupy our life, it's really hard for us to make space to listen to God, to make space in our life for God to speak to us. And so our readings invite us this morning to consider how we're making space for God's voice in our life. To ask ourselves, where are we giving God the opportunity to speak to us? Yes, we're all busy. Yes, all of us have a lot to do. But the reality is we do have some time each day, even if it's just a few minutes, even if it's just stopping in the chapel on your way out the door, even if it's just arriving to Mass a few extra minutes early, we all have some opportunity to quiet ourselves, to be open and attentive, to be thoughtful about who we are and what's going on in our life, and to intentionally look for how God might be working in us. You know, in the moment, that conversation with that friend may have seemed completely inconsequential, but when we return to it later in the day, we might realize that our friend was really trying to tell us something, or more importantly, that God was really trying to tell us something through that friend, through that moment of uncomfortability. In that time, a professor challenged us or pushed us to go a little bit deeper in our line of thought or line of argumentation. But one of the primary things that allows us or gives us license to run from God's voice or to hide from God's voice, as we hear in today's gospel, is fear. Now, what's astonishing about today's gospel is that we always focus on the fact that Peter's faith waned, that Peter was afraid and he began to sink. But really, friends, we should be thinking about the fact that Peter walked on the water at all, that Peter's faith was so great that he took that first step out of the boat and began to run to the Lord in the first place. Walking on water, even for just a few small steps, is no small feat. But it's only when Peter loses his focus and begins to recognize the danger that's around him that his attention is drawn away from the Lord, that fear kicks in, and he begins to sink. So what the readings might invite us to consider is how fear might be inhibiting us from seeing and hearing God's still small voice in our life. Fear of the unknown, fear of what lies ahead, fear of how we'll do, fear if we'll be successful or not. All of those anxieties, all of those concerns, all of those worries All of those things can push their way into our life 
and crowd out the space that we should be making for God. To crowd out that space and that time when God desires to speak to us. But friends, I'll be honest, there's always much to fear. There's always going to be moments of uncertainty in our life. There's always going to be a test that we're not going to know how we're going to do. There's always going to be a moment where we're not sure of how well we'll perform. There will always be times when we're unsure of how we're going to fit in to a new office environment, to a new group of friends, to a new set of classmates. But the way we encounter those moments of fear is to rely on our ability to hear God's voice, to trust in the fact that whether we hear him or not, or want to hear him or not, that God is always speaking to us, that God is always present in our life, and that God is always trying to convey to us his love, his mercy, his compassion. We're reminded today that the question isn't whether or not God speaks to us or not. He does. He always speaks. Rather, the question is, do we have the trust to listen? Does our faith allow us to spend some time each day seeing how God might be speaking to us in our life? Do we have the openness, the willingness to make room in our life, to see where God might be present in those moments that aren't particularly pious, that aren't particularly holy? Not necessarily those moments we spend in adoration or praying the rosary, but those less obvious moments when we're just hanging out with friends or in class or doing our homework. Even then, even there, God speaks to us. God seeks to tell us something about himself and help us learn something about ourselves. And it's that trust in God's ability to speak to us, even when we don't want to hear from him, even when we would rather not see him, even when we're unsure if we're hearing him. It's that trust that allows us to live courageously in the life of faith, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, to run to him, even in the midst of fear, even in the midst of danger, even in the midst of uncertainty. And so as we prepare to receive Eucharist this morning, as we prepare to receive the ultimate sign of God's love, the ultimate sign of God's promise in his body and blood, soul and divinity, let's simply ask God for the grace, the grace to listen well, the grace to humbly place ourselves in front of him and open our hearts, our ears, and our minds to the way he is making himself known in our world. And when we do that, when we place ourselves at his feet and open ourselves to his word, then we know that he can't but help draw us into his loving embrace all the days of our life. That was Brian Ching for Preach. After the break, we'll talk with Brian about how knowledge of the scripture, the life of faith, and knowledge of the people in the pews is central to a good homily.
Brian, as you began your homily and you spoke about being a formator in the Holy Cross Seminary, I was taken back to my own novitiate because <laughs> that is probably the one time in my formation that I actually received some kind of instruction in preaching. And then I think it was pretty much absent from my formation beyond that. I'm wondering, because it's so present to me what I learned in those sessions, what is it that you are trying to impress upon young seminarians about preaching? Sure, that's a great question. I was the director of the college seminary, so we weren't in trying to impress much. There were a long way off from actually preaching. I think we tried to impress upon them was that preaching isn't it's not an academic exercise. It's not simply about being a really good scripture scholar or a really good orator. Um, some people are, but they don't necessarily make great preachers, right? Being a good preacher is all about having a knowledge of the scriptures, having a knowledge of the stuff of faith, but equally as important, having knowledge of the human condition, having knowledge of what makes people tick, what people struggle with what makes people frustrated or upset or angry in their own day-to-day lived experience. And it's bringing those two things together that make an effective homily. So let's take each of those things in turn, maybe starting with the last, knowing people. You have this homily that you've just delivered, and you're specifically directing it at the young people at the University of Notre Dame. What is it that you needed to know about them to be able to land the message for this homily? Sure. What I need to know about them is to know what makes them tick, right? And this is one of the great pleasures of our ministries. We could live with them. We kind of interacted with them on a regular basis. But to know what makes them nervous, what makes them concerned, or what fears they might have. For this particular audience, grades are really important. Getting a B plus is like a traumatic experience. It might sound trite to a different audience. Like here, it's a very real concern. It's a very real fear that they have and one that causes them a lot of internal angst and anxiety. And so you really name their fears. I mean, as you say, it may sound trite to those of us who've gone through that experience, but for people going through that experience in the moment, it's something which speaks to what is happening for them in the here and now. Sure, absolutely. It would be kind of disingenuous of us to kind of laugh that off and say, oh, don't worry about that, you'll be fine. But to really honor that in the way we approach them and talk to them and the way you approach some of those things in the homily. So moving to that second aspect, right, the life of faith. What is it that you needed in terms of your own faith life as a preacher, but also to understand about the life of faith in young people? Sure. What I needed to understand was that the life of faith, it's not something that they neglect willingly because they're hostile to the life of faith. It's something that often falls by the wayside because it's just not at the forefront of their mind, because they're not getting graded on it in the same way they are in, frankly, almost every other aspect of their life. So it's, they're not not praying because they don't want to pray. They're not praying because they're really worried about the seven other things in their life. So to say it's okay to take some time away from those things to work on the life of faith, and that though it might be hard to see now, 
the five or seven or 10 minutes you give to prayer won't actually negatively impact your calc exam as much as you think it will. And in fact, might make you a healthier person because it will provide a little bit more balance in your life. And as a preacher trying to tap into the life of young people, what do you find is the specific challenge for you in communicating to that space in their lives? I think the challenge for me is just being authentic. They know that your experiences and their experiences are not the same. And when we sort of try to make our experiences relatable to their experiences, it can often come off as gimmicky or trite. So just sort of acknowledge the fact that, look, this didn't hit me the same way it hits you, or the way I encountered the life of faith is different than the way you encountered the life of faith, because I existed in college prior to Instagram or Twitter or even regular cell phone use. So it's not to say that there's no space for us to speak to them, but you have to sort of be honest about that. And I think what's important there is kind of conveying the fact that at the end of the day, you care for them. Like what you want and what they want are actually the same thing, to love Christ and to have Christ love them, you know, but not to do that in a way that sort of is false in trying to take on the persona of a 20-year-old. And you've said that these are people who have a life of faith, who understand what it is to hold faith in their lives. At the same time, there's also a danger, especially maybe in the academic context where you find yourself, that we move into abstractions or sort of, you know, fuzzy thinking, deep theological treatises. So how do you steer clear of that and yet still communicate the depth of faith? My first assignment as a priest was to a parish that's just south of campus. And a lot of the parishioners are faculty members in various departments, but a number of theologians. In fact, a number of faculty members who taught me both as an undergraduate and as an MDiv student. And there's always a little trepidation around having to preach to them and be in your audience regularly. And I remember one of them kind of pulling me aside At the very beginning, even before I was regularly preaching at the parish and saying, look, Brian, here's what you need to know. What you need to know is that we need to be told that God loves us just as much as anyone else. And that's your job. Your job is not to be a theologian. Your job isn't to prove to me how smart you are. Your job is to be our pastor and remind us that even though we do theology for a living, that Jesus still loves you, cares for you, and wants you to experiences joy, you know, and that's always stuck with me in terms of then communicating that to our students to say that God loves you in the midst of getting a bad grade actually is pretty powerful. One way I think you do that well in your homily, and you use that to particular effect, I think, is in rhetorical questioning, right? So questions like, where are we giving God the opportunity to speak to us? How might fear be inhibiting us? Do we have the openness or willingness in our life to make room in our lives for that still small voice of God? So you you seem almost to, I suppose, to help your congregation by prompting questions that you have and that almost certainly they have. 
it's actually also one of the tools that allow me or that I try to use to reach a relatively diverse audience. Because the way a student is going to answer that question is going to be different than someone who's watching us on TV. A retiree is going to answer that question. But it's going to allow both of them to draw something from the same homily. And what it does, it allows me to sort of lay a foundation, to lay a very basic framework, and then to actually place some of, just a small part of the burden of hearing the message on the listener. To say, all right, I've laid this out. God speaks when we don't always want him to speak. God speaks in ways that aren't always so obvious. But now it's your job to spend a little bit of time thinking about what does that look like in the day-to-day reality of my life. I want to go back to the third thing that you said, which was the life of Scripture, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we can say, oh, yeah, our job is just to remind people that God loves them. But the way in which we do that is by giving insight, which we get from our training. So what would you say impacted you in thinking about this homily in terms of your Scripture training? What I'm always thoughtful of is whether the sharing of my knowledge of the stuff of Scripture is going to be helpful or not. And that is very different depending on congregation. For example, there are times in this particular context when I know the audience is a little bit more experienced in terms of intellectual formation that I'll kind of gloss over kind of laying out, this is who Elijah is and this is what his story is, or to kind of make the obvious connection that the still small voice is God, That's not new information to them. And that's something that they're going to access the second they hear the story. So I try to be very thoughtful about whether explaining the scripture in whatever way it needs to be explained is actually going to help the understanding of the congregation or might even hinder the way a congregation hears a homily. And we can try to be too clever sometimes, right? I mean, sort of give a novel interpretation of this where Actually, sometimes it's helpful to just go back to basics. That's exactly right. And certainly in the first book of Kings, I think that's what you've done. That was the approach, back to basics. Right. Listen to where God is in the small instances of your life. Right. My style is a very sort of back to basics style. I'm not going to be the guy who tries to, you know, offer some new and genuine insight. Really, my homiletic style tends to be one of just remembering what we're all about and taking some refuge in remembering what we're all about. Just acknowledging the very simple human reality that we're really not good at remembering all that we're about because we get distracted by umpteen million things. So yes, you might have heard me tell you that God loves you 8 million times before, but that doesn't mean we're getting any better at it. And so we need to be told again and again and again. So I think there are moments when a more academic homily might be called for. It's knowing when to deploy that in a way that it's actually going to be helpful and impact someone, Mm -hmm. and then being okay with the fact that that's not going to be every single Sunday. And actually, that balance is what builds up the trust, right? When you go back to the basics a number of times, like people feel comfortable with you. They feel like you're not threatening them all the time Mm -hmm. and might be a little bit more receptive in those moments when you do have to push a little bit more incisively into their life. So even though you've stuck with the basics, there's this moment where you really flip the script, right? We're all expecting a preacher to go with, you know, Peter is afraid. (laughs) And you didn't go there. You went, Peter walked on water. (laughs) Peter took courage. So it completely went in a different direction. 
what were you thinking as you were doing that? Yeah, part of it is I just have a soft spot for Peter. I have a similar spot, sir. So I think what I was thinking about there, especially in this particular context, is that our students are often very hard on themselves. One of the hardest things for me and my colleagues on campus to do is to convince our students that they're actually worthy of God's love because their entire life is evaluative. Their entire life is spent being told by other people, here's how you can prove on this, here's how you can be better at that, and this gets a B or B minus or B plus or whatever. And it's very easy for them to transpose that to the life of faith, that loving Jesus is just about being assessed by Jesus and you have to prove to him how much you love him. So rather than focus on Peter's fault, I choose to focus on Peter's courage because it helps them remember that like, this is actually the story of faith. There are moments when we do things really well, mm. and in a split second, we can be the one sinking, but neither is like the total state of our life. And to say that that moment of failure is not life-defining, but a moment that through the grace of God, you have the capability of moving on from and moving past. It's interesting to me, this idea of, you know, a God who evaluates us, right? And it reminds me at the end when Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? <laughs> and Peter's sort of perplexed by this. And he says it again, Peter, do you love me? It almost sounds like an evaluation, right? Like, tell me the ways you love me. And his final response is, Lord, you know I love you. And almost that he needed to find that place within himself that was sure and that had the courage to say, actually, I don't need to prove this to you. You know that I love you. Right. And having spoken about evaluation and how we shouldn't talk too much about evaluation. I think evaluation is an important part of preaching practice, right? That absolutely we're not sort of sitting with a scorecard every week. But how do you get meaningful feedback from your congregation that helps you to grow in your preaching? I think the first key to getting meaningful feedback is self-awareness. To be able to read the room, you can see when people are tuned out. You can see when people are kind of bothered in a good way or in an unhealthy way. But what's also important for me and a great advantage for me is knowing that I have trusted friends in the room, peers, classmates, people I know, whose insights you trust and say, look, I'm actually going to ask you how this went and solicit your feedback. You know, someone might say, oh man, that homily was totally vapid and had like awful content. And someone else might say, it just fell flat. Like there was no affect. So I just stopped listening. But it could be the most brilliant thing in the world. It's like knowing what particular aspect you're struggling with, I think is really helpful. And asking people to clarify and to kind of go deeper and break that down a little bit. Great. Thank you. I promise I didn't tune out. I certainly don't think that any of our listeners will tune out. So I look forward to inviting you again sometime on Preach. Well, thank you all so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to Preach. You can find the readings and a link to the transcript for the homily in our show notes. This podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Compelling Preaching Initiative, a project of Lilly Endowment Inc. Preach is produced by me and Maggie Van Dorn. Frank Tucson is our audio engineer. He also designed the theme score and composed original music for the podcast. 
Sebastian Gomes is our executive producer. We recorded in the William J. Loschitz studio in New York City with production assistance from Kevin Christopher Robles and Christabel Spielman. If you've heard a great homily recently or know a great preacher you would like to recommend for this podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Please check the link in the show notes. You can follow me on Twitter at RickDSSJ. That's R-I-C-D-S-S-J. And one more thing before we go. Did you know that America can deliver a new scripture reflection to your inbox every day? If you're already a digital subscriber, they're probably in your inbox. If not, become a digital subscriber today for $5.99 a month. It's the best way to support our work here on Preach. Just visit the link in the show notes. For America Media, I'm Ricardo De Silva. Until next time, keep preaching the good news.